Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. In this episode, I spoke with professional athlete and coach Amanda Rigo. Amanda currently trains with Colorado Springs Track Club Elite and has quickly amassed quite the coaching resume. She's a certified personal trainer and strength and conditioning coach, plus has over five years experience as an NCAA coach. Amanda also works with athletes privately on V.02. She's one of the most talented female distance runners in the U.S. with personal bests of 426 in the mile and 1554 in the 5K. But a big part of her story has been coming back from injuries. Despite this battle, she's still focused on making an Olympic team, and it's been great to watch how she's responded to such adversity along the way. In this episode, we discuss her personal experience getting COVID and how she manages mental health during the pandemic her athletic story and what she's learned along the way, finally, her injury battles and dealing with hamstring syndrome, which is a unique injury that she finally managed to progress from after surgery in Finland. There's a lot of great lessons in here. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. So you said you're you're calling in from Atlanta. You were visiting family. Yeah, I've been uh, visiting family in Florida and Georgia, and it's been a really nice break after a pretty tough year. Yeah. Um, so are you from that area originally? I Actually, originally I'm from Ohio, um, a really small town outside of Cleveland. It's LaGrange, Ohio. It's about, I think, 40 minutes or so outside of Cleveland. It's a really small farm town. Um, I think my high school had about maybe 600 people total. Um, but yeah, it, it was a great place to grow up, but kind of off the map, most people would have never heard of it. Yeah. So then you'll, I want to get into high school and, and college, obviously. Um, so we'll circle back and, but just to really quick, um, basically overview, you, you end up in at Florida state, right. And then now you're, you're based out of Colorado Springs, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so you're heading back to Colorado soon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll head back um, tomorrow, actually. How has it been? I mean, how have you guys, I know um, you have a pretty personal experience. I mean, so many now are with uh, dealing with COVID. Many have been inconvenienced and then, you know, many are now experiencing it more personally. So I was wondering if if you can talk to us a little bit about that, because I know you were uh, you've talked about it publicly, and um, so we'd love to hear what your experience was like um, dealing with it personally. Yeah, so I actually had COVID pretty early on before really anybody else that I knew had it, or any athletes that I knew of had it. Um, originally, I didn't even know I was going to be tested for it because this was back in early March before there was a lot of testing available. Um, But I had flu-like symptoms and a fever and I went and saw my doctor and they actually ended up testing me for whatever reason and found out that I had that. And at the time, there wasn't really much on the internet to read about, um, especially, you know, runners dealing with this. So I just wanted to kind of share what I was going through. Um, And the, the scary thing for me was that I didn't have any of the severe symptoms. And so because of that, um, a lot of people didn't believe that I had it. They like, before I had the positive test to confirm it, they said there was no way I could have it because I didn't have, you know, severe Mm -hmm. breathing problems. So that I kind of just went live on my Instagram and was like, Hey, just so you know, you don't have to have those symptoms. And obviously we know that now Uh, we know a lot more than we knew in March. Um, And then it actually did end up kind of changing after that. I did develop some chest symptoms at about a week out. Um, So it was kind of one of those, I was really sick for three days with a fever and everything. And then felt better. I honestly felt like I probably could have gone out and run. Um, And I actually did try running before I even got my test results back because I had no idea that I had it. Mm. Um, And, you know, the way I describe it was I felt like I was running at, 10,000 feet or maybe 14,000 feet um, instead of where I live, which is 6,000 feet. I just felt like I couldn't get 
enough air and I just felt extremely fatigued. So I knew that something was wrong. Did you feel like that exacerbated it like the next week or no? Well, yeah, because I, I felt sick. I started feeling sick on a Friday. I think I had tried to run as soon as my fever went away. And then it was right after that, that I got the the positive and I said, okay, then I'm just not going to run for a little bit. Um, and then I think it was about a week from when I first felt sick that I felt a little something in my chest. Um, it wasn't, it was never, you know, severe enough to have to go to the hospital or go back to the doctor or anything. But, um, that caught me a little bit off guard because I, I thought I was better at that point. Um, and now I think we're starting to see a lot of those kind of relapses, which is, I think why, you know, a lot of the doctors recommend waiting on returning to running or at least, you know, intense exercise, because there are a lot of people that feel better after three or four days and then you kind of get worse again. Yeah. I mean, it's classic runners too, right? They have that sense that maybe they're a little bit not invincible, but that it's not going to impact them as much. And I hear that so often, like I tried to start running and then it put me back on my butt, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I mean, this, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no worries. This is, um, I think, just a lot different than, you know, I've run through bronchitis, I've run through the flu and other things like that, where, you know, as long as you're not <laughs> in bed or over the toilet or something, you're you're right back at it. But this one, I think it's just the fatigue that, um, you mm. know, makes it a lot harder to come back from. And um, and every, everybody's different. I've worked with several runners who have had it, and some have had really smooth comebacks and and others are still struggling and so i think it's got to be kind of taken case by case so you are seeing a mix in terms of runners that you've worked with yeah i am um i have had runners um basically be asymptomatic and then i've seen um i've worked with some runners who had some lingering symptoms um one of which ended up finding out they had some fluid in their lungs, which is pretty scary. Um, and then I myself, which I don't really talk about this a lot, but I actually was diagnosed with costochondritis, um, which basically ever since I had COVID, I've had uh, chest pain, which at first I thought, you know, I was really worried about all of the stuff that you read about myocarditis and, yeah. the, you know, inflammation of the heart. So I went and saw a cardiologist and, got a lot of testing done and they realized that what it wasn't my heart. Um, it's more of the, the cartilage around my rib ribs and everything. Um, but it's still painful and kind of frustrating. It's something I kind of just live with now, but it, I never had an issue before COVID. So, um, so you're you know, I certainly uh, have the doctor said like, this is, you know, would you classify yourself or would they classify you as a quote unquote long, long hauler or no? I mean, I, I think the definition of the CDC of a long hauler, I would I would fall into that. But, you know, there's again, it's so case by case. Um, yeah. You know, I don't I don't think of myself as a, a long hauler. There's definitely people who have much, much worse um, symptoms, you know, for six yeah. months or something. But, you know, and the fact that I've still been able to run through it, um, I'm super grateful and thankful that I'm, you know, not dealing with a lot. It could be much worse. Um but it's still frustrating, and I think it's a good reminder that, um, you know, even some very fit athletes are dealing with lingering symptoms, and you definitely don't want to have to deal with those things, even if they're they're moderate or mild. Yeah, I was shocked. It was I was. It's disturbing to read. I was reading about Matt Fitzgerald, who had it and has been mm-hmm. very public about it, and he's talking about you know. Many months later, he still struggles sometimes to walk up the stairs and struggles to work. And that's terrifying, you know, to think. And and we still don't have a grasp for why certain individuals, because he's obviously a very fit individual. I think he was very fit before he had it, you know. Right, right. There's just so much we don't know. Um, but, yeah, that's why with, with my own athletes, I... I really just ask them a lot of questions and have played, you know, played things more cautiously with their recovery and, and return to running. Um, yeah. You know, I coach uh, 
college athletes as well as, you know, recreational runners. And so, um, it's, you know, helpful in some ways that, that universities and conferences have their own protocols, but, um, it's also frustrating because there's a lot of disconnect, you know, within different leagues of sports, within different conferences right now, there's just not enough information to say that this is exactly how we should, um, return athletes to sport. And so hopefully, you know, I don't think the virus is going to go away overnight, but hopefully between the vaccine and then just more time, we'll have more knowledge by the end of 2021 with, with how to move forward, because you are going to have obviously a lot of people, um, you know, dealing with the after effects of this and, and how to kind of move forward. So you're coaching private athletes now, but also a college team, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I coach at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. I coach the um, women's distance team. I help out as an assistant coach. So I wanted to ask you know, along along these lines um, regarding the pandemic and what's your feeling just about in general, not your team specifically and how they've been managing, but the idea that you know the NCAA and sports are still kind of, you know, muddling through at the moment. Do you, have you felt like, listen, I would prefer that the season is just canceled. This is um, silly. Or do you feel like it's been safe? You've been comfortable and you feel like the, the student athletes have been managing it fine. Yeah, that's, that's a really tough question. Um, because, you know, I've, I've had the virus and, you know, it's negatively affected me and mm-hmm. my grandpa passed away earlier this year. So it definitely hits home, um, for me personally. Um, I'm so sorry. I, I, I did read about that. Um, yeah, it's, so, it's all right. You know, it's, um, it's everywhere. It's been a tough year for everyone. And, you know, the suffering is, is real and it's affected a it's affected everyone in different ways. And so, you know, I think, um, we have to acknowledge that we have to acknowledge the risks, but at the same time, I, I have enjoyed the fact that we've been able to have a sort of a season with our team. Um, I think that sports like cross country, you know, are a lot more realistic, uh, to be able to, to kind of move forward with, I think there are ways that track and field can be, can host, you know, races, um, you know, I ran one myself in, in December um, at the, the sound running track meet. Um, so I'm not I'm not totally opposed to to having sports um, to some degree. But I do think that, you know, there's there's a difference between kind of checking boxes and going through the motions um, for legality versus actually put taking this stuff seriously and, um, you know, actually following the protocols and, and being careful. And so I think if. Um, you know, if, if you can have a season, I think it's great. I think there, we also have to weigh in to, you know, all of the other effects of canceling everything, canceling everything, obviously that, that is detrimental to society over time. Um, so I, I guess I try to find kind of a balance, you know, I think there are, um, events and things that maybe shouldn't be happening or shouldn't be happening in the way that they are. And then I think that there's Mm -hmm. also, um, you know, some, some things that probably could have happened in 2020 that didn't. And that's also right. a shame. So I don't know. I don't really have a great answer for that, but yeah. <laughs> you know, as far as how our, our college um, athletes, how our women handled the, the season, um, you know, I was super, super proud of them because they just really came together and honestly had probably the, the, the best team dynamic we've had in all six years I've been coaching there. Um, they're just really positive and um, it was a great escape for them, you know, dealing with online classes and, um, you know, some of them lost their part-time jobs. You know, obviously they had family, you know, far away that they weren't able to see and just all the, all the things that they were dealing with, they did a tremendous job showing up and being positive. And, you know, I, I try to be that example for them, but this year, honestly, they, kind of carried me through a lot of times. Um, so it was a really special season. And, um, you know, honestly, I think as sports start to come back, I think that's going to be the one positive of moving forward is we're going to get to see a lot of like 
just incredible amounts of gratitude to be able to come back and do these things. So I want to talk about gratitude because I've been enjoying following you on social media. I always like to highlight like positivity on and, and you know, good aspects of, of social media and how it's being used in certain instances. But um, just give us a quick update on where do you guys stand in terms of moving forward? Is it just that the, the indoor will, I don't know how much of an indoor season you guys normally have anyway, but where are your seasons in terms of NCAAs and indoor track, outdoor track? Is everything still kind of up in the air or where are you guys at right now? Uh, as of, of right now, forward? we, our conference is still moving forward. Um, we're, we're planning on, um, actually hosting a couple of meets in, in a few weeks here. Luckily, we have our own indoor facility and we've got big garage doors we can open up and, and let, let some air in there. And, um, but yeah, we'll kind of take things, you know, day by day and week by week. We, I think it's, um, you know, silly to think that everything is fine just because it's 2021. I think there's still going to be a lot of uncertainties. But yeah, as far as the NCAA goes, um, as of right now that things are still still happening, but it's it's really hard to say for sure exactly how the season will look. Well, isn't the when is the cross country championships? They they've moved it right to is it March? Um, for Division One, it was moved. For Division Two, it was canceled. So um, okay. we did not have an a, a NCAA championships for Division Two. We've basically kind of just moved on. Um, for our team, at least, we're just going to be focusing on track in the spring. And, and you will have an indoor, or you will have indoor meets as, as far as today goes. As yeah, as of right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of restricted. Do they let people in? Um, you just have to be masked up or is it athletes and coaches only? How does it work? Yes, it's pretty much just, just athletes and coaches. Um, there's been talk about doing, you know, different event groups on different days, um, and not allowing any of the other athletes in the, in the facility at that time masks, you know, always, unless you're competing and things like that. So it, it definitely is going to look a lot different, but Um, but hopefully, you know, if we can do it in a really safe, safe manner, um, I hope the kids, you know, get to have a season that was really hard. Obviously last year, the season got, well, indoor nationals got canceled while everybody was actually there at nationals. So, you know, it would be really, really great to have it happen, but obviously we want to do it safely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so touching again on gratitude and you've talked about hope and patience and, um, trying to focus on enjoying nature. You're in, in such a beautiful state. I wish I was in Colorado more often. Oh, thanks. Um, but uh, so I love that. And you talked about working with the sports psychologist and managing mental health, which I think everyone right is dealing with in some capacity during Definitely. the pandemic. And it's always great to talk about just to sort of help maybe end this the stigma around mental health, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been trying to focus on during this challenging time um, that has been helpful to you to kind of get through. Yeah, well, I think you mentioned a lot of them. You know, hope, I think, is is super important during these, these tough times. You've got to keep holding on to that. And, um, you know, I think... It's not the same, but I believe that I've kind of had my own roller coaster journey over the last really, I guess, eight years or so with with running and and injuries and things like that. So I've had a lot of practice and a lot of, um, I guess, challenges and, and, you know, having to um, continue to hold on to hope and have patience and learn to practice gratitude and all those kinds of things. So I, I do think, um, because I've had some really major injuries and surgeries leading up to 2020 that kind of helped prep me for, um, you know, the, the trials that we faced this year, even though it's very different, I think at the same time, you know, athletics and life, um, there's a lot of parallels. So, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, try to focus on those kinds of things. Um, you know, I, I just 
turn to my faith and, and, and just really believe that, you know, if you, you keep, keep on, you know, working hard and making the most of every day and what you have, um, then that really can help you get through the really tough stuff. It doesn't mean that, that your life is going to change overnight or that the, the struggles are going to go away. But when you, um, focus on, you know, things like gratitude, um, I'm a huge fan of keeping like a gratitude log, writing down a couple of things every day, things that I'm grateful for. And, um, you know, that just helps bring a little bit of light into the, the dark days and, um, yeah. Yeah. So. And what about, so you, t- you've talked about social media breaks. Are those generally like planned or is it just you, you know, when it's time to kind of like for your own health and to, you know, be your best self is, is it just kind of come to you? Is it a struggle because you want to sort of be out there, right. For your athletes. And part of it is sort of, inspiring and attracting, um, connecting with maybe new athletes and coaches, or how do you generally approach that? I I like this idea of social media breaks, just like we talk about, like, take a break in your own training, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think more and more people are starting to turn away from the idea of breaks. I think society <laughs> uh, frowns upon breaks, and I find that a lot. Even with my own athletes, they don't—they don't, they don't want to take a break, which is funny to me because, even though I don't either, I still I love my, you know, two weeks off after a season or something like that. But you know, as yeah. far as you know, social media goes, I just—I think there are some really great pros, and then I think there are some some cons. I don't deny that. I think that um, it's very individual how you approach it. And for me myself, I have definitely struggled with, you know, the, the comparison part of it. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, just even just distraction and, and, and waste of time, just kind of scrolling and, and losing, you know, sight of where I'm at physically here and now the people in the room around you. So, um, you know, when I feel like it gets to a point and I think we all know when we're in that place, um, I just try to, and usually it doesn't happen right away, but, after, you know, going through a couple of weeks of feeling like I'm in a rut or something, a lot of times I will tie it back to, well, you know, have I been spending a ton of time sitting around on my phone? And if the answer is yes, then I know I need a break. And, um, that, that was hard for me a few years ago when I first tried it. Um, but I realized the, the month, cause I, I think I've been doing this for a few years now. I typically just do no social media in November. Um, I, I like alliteration, so that <laughs> that works for me. But um, <laughs> I, I've been doing that for a while, and it, it really is amazing how one month away from, you know, that screen time and, and just kind of all those distractions can really bring you back to um, just finding joy in the little things. And, um, you know, November was always my kind of break back in college. You'd finish up with NCAA cross-country champs, and then you'd come home for Thanksgiving and you'd be with your family, you'd eat all the food that you wanted. And those were some, you know, obviously the, the championship season of running is, uh, is the highlight of the year. But at the same time, I think it, it was so important that I took that time after that to just not think about running, you know, and, and not think about all that stuff for whatever it was a week or two, kind of give myself a break. So I, I think that they're kind of similar. Um, and yeah, I think that's a big, a big struggle with a lot of people um, and a lot of athletes um, to be able to have the self-discipline to take a break. But I think it doesn't have to mean you're giving it up forever. You know, some people go through phases, they delete everything they get off. That's great. (laughs) If that's what you want to do. But um, I find that just taking kind of these short breaks, maybe it's, maybe it's one day a week. um, Maybe it's a month, whatever, you know, feels right for you. I think if people try it, um, they realize that they you can get a lot of, of positives out of it. Yeah, I've been trying to like just find a balance um, which works. Obviously, I, I tend to be on it more often just because of the business. Um, right. In many cases, that's not the only reason I'm on it. Because um, I always kind of chuckle when you see people like, you know, I'm getting off. Like they make they take that stand, right? Like see it, you know. <laughs> hope to see you in person because I'm, I'm getting off, you know, off of Facebook or whatever. And then 
in some cases, like three or four months later, you see them pop up again, you know, and you're like, oh, wait, I thought they were, they were deactivating. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard to just shut off, you know, for good. Right. I think balance is the key. Like you said, like with anything in life, you've got to have, have balance and, um, but you know, for some some people, social media is not the thing for them ever, and that's okay too. And and then you know, there may be some people that can't commit to giving giving it up for a month or something like that. Especially like you said, depending on what your career is. But I think just just learning to not be you know addicted to it. Um, I think as runners, we tend to have somewhat addictive personalities. Um, I definitely <laughs> believe I'm that type of person. So I think when it becomes an addiction is when you know, I've got to draw the line. Um, okay. So when did you learn, you know, for the first time that you were so darn fast? <laughs> um, you know, I started running back in middle school and, you know, the first couple of races were nothing crazy, but I think it was pretty early on. Even back then I, I realized that I had some talent and I just always had the drive. I, like I said, it came from a really small school. Um, my first team that I ran for in high school in Ohio, we did not have enough girls to compete in varsity races. Um, so there were like three or four of us at times. Um, so I ran a lot of JV races and I would I, I win them pretty handily. Um, and that was kind of frustrating. I was like, coach, why won't they let me run in the varsity race? Mm -hmm. Um, that was just one of the rules, you know, in our district or whatever. So yeah, it was pretty early on. Um, and I was blessed to have a really great, um, coach at the start of it, Jeff Holzhauer. He, you know, he wasn't like a world-class coach or anything that, you know, famous coach, um, that I hired or something like that. He was just, you know, a, a really good coach who helped me kind of fall in love with the sport and um yeah he helped me kind of discover my talent what what was his background so he was he a runner himself was he just someone who coached runners for a while got into it you know however he got into it yeah so he he was a runner um he had a track background and then he also um coached basketball at our school so um you know i I just say that because i think a lot of people have this idea you know (laughs) Obviously, I, I am a coach who wants to <laughs> gain clients, but um, you know, I, I think that sometimes in, in middle school and high school, there's this idea that you have to go seek out this this really high level uh, achieved coach. Um, and and you know, Jeff definitely had knowledge of the sport. He's a huge huge fan of the sport, uh, but you know, I wouldn't say that um, you know he was necessarily known you know as a national class coach. Um, so I, you know, I was very lucky that what more importantly that, you know, he had the passion for it. And like I said, he kind of helped me become like a student of the sport. Um, I remember like him telling me, you've got to go watch the Prefontaine movie. And I was like, who is that? What is this about? You know? (laughs) So just things like that, I think for, uh, young runners instilling that, that love of the sport is like the number one thing. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't like super methodology based like you know here's here's why we do like what kind of workouts were you doing i'm assuming you weren't running like a ton of mileage compared to other star high school athletes or were you no it was um you know back then i didn't really pay close attention i have running logs and i look back at them um but they're they're hilarious to read now because i didn't write them thinking like a coach I wrote them like a middle school high school kid um so you know it was a lot of just run from this cone to that cone as hard as you can and, and we had one one boy um on our team who was also pretty talented and it was just I, I want to beat him one day that was all I cared about was you know try to be as close to him or ahead of him um you know or if coach rode alongside us in a truck it was you know just try to make him drive a little faster. So there was not, um, you know, he, when I say student of the sport, I'm sure he probably did teach me some, some stuff about training methodology, but I think, you know, back then I wasn't thinking about all of that. Um, I was running, you know, somewhere between 25 and on the higher end, 45 miles a week for most of, of high school. I was not a high mileage athlete. 
Um, and, you know, I think that's also what helped me be so successful in college. Um, you know, even though I've had a lot of injuries now, I didn't have any major injuries in college. So, yeah. So no, me that that's what I was going to get to next. I was curious. Um, so high school, it, it seemed what a great foundation, just kind of keeping it fun and you, you kind of advance based on talent and, you know, your competitive nature, it sounds like. And then, but no, no injuries, even in the college, you're saying, um, the, the injury cycle really didn't come till post-collegiate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was pretty lucky through, through most of college. I never had to redshirt or anything like that. Um, it wasn't until after that, that I had a really bad nagging hamstring injury and, uh, I kind of continued to push through that. Um, but, but yeah, no, and the other, and then my second half of my high school career, I did actually run for another coach. My family moved down to Georgia. And, um, so I got to be part of a very different program there. Um, we were at Collinsville high school, um, Andrew Hudson, he, Mm -hmm. Uh, was a super successful high school coach. He coached like six straight cross country titles, um, state, state titles, um, for our women's team. And, um, yeah, so I think once I moved there, I I definitely got more serious. So that's all that's to say that I, I didn't just, you know, run for fun in high school. You know, we had a serious team. We were at Nike nationals as a team and all that very high level program uh, for kind of the second half of my high school career and I think just being around you know some really great coaches for those first couple of years and um, you know we did a lot of strength training in high school um, you know I think that helped me stay healthy through high school and then same thing this, was in, this was in Georgia Amanda when you started to get more serious yeah mm-hmm Okay. And what kind of strength training were you doing then? So we had our sprint coach who was, um, our, also our strength coach. And, um, you know, we, we did some pretty, um, I guess more power, you know, focused, heavier lifting, nothing, nothing super crazy, but, um, you know, I definitely think a lot of runners fall into the midst of you can't lift heavy and be a distance runner. Um, and that was definitely not true of our, our team. We lifted heavy. Um, we worked hard and, you know, our, our weight training was kind of a, a big part of our day. Um, and mm. yeah, so, um, you know, just kind of a, a whole good variety of different things. Um, some, some heavier, uh, lower body lifts and things like that. Um, some upper body work, a lot of core work, and then some, you know, agility and, and speed training and stuff like that. Um, you know, he came from more of a football um, sprint yeah. background. So I think that helped me to be more of a, a of an athlete instead of just a distance runner. And I feel like once I started to take that side of it more seriously, um, along with having like a really competitive team and, um, you know, having other girls who were running sub five, you know, five oh something 1600s that, you know, that's what really helped me get to the next level. Do you were you already sort of on track to be uh, a middle distance star at that point, or do you feel like that was part of your development into a middle distance star that that strength routine and focus? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't say that I wasn't, you know, already on track. I ran five oh two as a, a freshman in high school back in Ohio, and um, <laughs> <laughs> my coach always laughs because he says earlier that season he thought. He messed up. He thought he peaked me too too soon because I ran. I, op- I opened up with, I think I went from like a five forty mile to like a five eighteen indoors that year as a freshman, and you know. But back then I wasn't thinking like I was, you know, trying to be a national class runner. There wasn't, you know, the one upside to not having social media and things like that was, um, you know. I didn't know who Jordan Hasse was or, you know, the other really top runners, Ashley Brazovan. I probably didn't even know who they were back then um, and and what other high schoolers in my um, class were doing. I was just always trying to be better, you know, than my last race or whatever. So, um, you know, it probably wasn't until, you know, midway through high school that I realized, okay, you know, I, I started, you know, winning state titles and things like that. But, um 
but yeah, I, I think it was just for me always about just trying to get to the next step for myself and not, not, um, overthinking where I stood, you know, in the grand scheme of things. What was your standout, um, performance as a high school athlete, would you say? Um, so I ran four forty three in the 1600. Um, so that was one of my best marks. And then at the national where championships, that, where did that rank time-wise? In the nation, I don't remember. It was definitely one of the top times. And then, you know, it yeah. was, I ran the state record in the, um, in the 1600 and, uh, in my division in the 3200. But, um, but yeah, a couple of the, the highlights, I guess, were we won the distance medley relay at nationals um, and I was the anchor leg and that was really, really special. And then I won the NXN individual title for regionals and our team qualified as well. So that was really cool. We got to go to, to team nationals in cross country twice and same thing in track um, to track nationals as a team with relays. So yeah, that, there were some some great memories, and it was really cool to be able to, you know, run for the team and not just just be there by myself going after, you know, yeah. titles and things like that. Who are your top competitors in the mile, just so we have a reference? Any any names that are still competing? Yeah, um, Emily Enfield. Yeah, she has been okay. kind of a competitor of mine since my early days back in Ohio. Um, and then even oh, when nice. I moved to Georgia, um, you know, we were both, I think the one year that I ran the 1600 at nationals, she might've ended up winning. Um, I'm horrible with, with stats and all that and, and remembering specific places, but, um, I definitely remember her cause we, you know, both being from the Cleveland area, we've been running against each other for a long time. She's still at, she's at Bowerman, right? She went to Georgetown and then, um, yep. Is that Bowerman? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's cool. So you go to Florida State. Who's writing your workouts at Florida State? So Karen Harvey was my coach. She was um, a coach for the full four years that I was there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was. that's you know a big reason why I went to Florida State coming from a high school team where we had, you know, a really knowledgeable, successful coach who also, you know, had a, a lot of team success. I really wanted that in college. And then also, you know, being a female, um, I knew that I wanted to get into coaching. So to learn from another female coach was really cool. Um, but yeah, she was, you know, super successful, coached a lot of Olympians, um, you know, world championship athletes, Susan Kuykin, Hannah England, um, Barbara Parker, Viola Lagat, who's actually Bernard Lagat's younger sister, Mm-hmm. Um, Lyndon Hall and Colleen Quigley, like all these girls were, you know, around when I was there. So that was just really, really awesome to train with uh, world-class athletes. And Tallahassee's a great, I mean, I guess for Florida, right? But I, even beyond Florida, I think it's a, did you enjoy training there? I've spent a couple winters training oh, yeah. in Tallahassee and it's just, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I loved it there. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I think high altitude is great, and I, I love uh, I love Colorado Springs, but there's a lot of things I miss about training in Tallahassee. Um, you know, I think the weather's really great. I mean, there's yeah. a couple months of the year where it's tough, but really for college, you're not typically um, on campus during the summer. You might go back home or something. So most of us would leave during the hottest months, but the rest of the year was was great training weather and. And there's so many trails there. Um, people never realize how many trails, miles and miles of, of know. You know, grass trails and, and, and hills. There's, there's good hills there. People think of Florida as like <laughs> Miami, flat, concrete, or running on the beach. Uh, we weren't even <laughs> – I hardly ever went to the beach. We weren't even really near the beach. But, um, yeah, I loved it there. What's the big, the big park there where you have meats, the grass? I'm blanking – on the name and we would even we do intervals in the grass like the, the big Appalachian home. Regional Park yeah and then even long runs sort of like out and back but they were so much fun yeah I yeah I, I think it's it's beautiful there um yeah I, I love that part of Florida so standout 
what was really your standout performance at Florida State? Was it the the four twenty six indoors? Was it more of a team um, finish? What what would you say just to kind of give us context for how you progressed in college? It sounds like things just kept going really well, right? You just kept getting faster and doesn't sound like you were injured um, much or at all in college and had a good experience, right? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was able to kind of chip away at my mile PR over the course of four years. I guess my, my highest finish was second indoors in the mile. Um, that was my college PR was actually 431. And that was the race that I ran that time, uh, against Emma Coburn. Um, and, and it was, it was exciting because I think that was the first time that I really believed I, I could win and really went for it. And we broke away from the rest of the field and we were kind of neck and neck the whole way. And, you know, she pulled away the last couple of meters, but, um, it was really a kind of turning point in my career where I, I felt like I could race confidently against anyone. Oh, wow. So I haven't, I've never seen that race. So she, you guys broke away and then she, does she out lean you or she just kind of. She broke away a little before the line. Um, but you know, I, I'm always someone who likes to make it a hard, hard race. So, um, (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't in there to run a 440. You know, I, I'd done that basically back in high school. I, I, I wanted it to be a, an honest race from the gun and, and we kind of made it that and nobody else really w- was up for the challenge that day. So, um, yeah, I, I love races where, you know, people really, really go for it. Um, and, and, and kind of see what, especially in indoors, because, you know, the way you qualify in, in NCAA indoors is by time. Um, so yeah. I, I get a little frustrated sometimes when you see these middle distance <laughs> finals that are, tremendously slower than what it took to get into the race. But I mean, that's a part of racing too. I think you've got to be able to do, um, both, both kinds of strategy, but that day it was more of kind of go from the gun. So you get frustrated if it turns into more of a tactical race, you like when it breaks out early. Yeah, I, I definitely like personally, like, like when races go from the gun and, and maybe some of that comes from my background, um, you know, in high school, I think, you know, that was a lot of times how you, you kind of had to run. So I think, you know, in college and then post-collegiately, I've had to definitely, um, you know, learn a lot of different tactics, especially in the 1500, because there's really no, you know, there's always going to be, um, different possibilities. You kind of have to be ready for absolutely anything in those kinds of races. So, but in, in my perfect world, um, I would just kind of go hard from the gun. <laughs> and then so the, the 426, that actually came later. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that was, um, so after college, I, after I graduated, I went and joined the New Jersey, New York track club with um, Coach Gags. And oh, that yeah. was my first mile race after, as, as a pro. Um, so yeah, that, that was a kind of a surprising race. Um, I wasn't going there to, you know, try to run that time or anything like that. I knew I was fit and we had, um, you know, Kate Grace did a great job pacing that race. And it was at, um, it was at the BU track in, in Boston. Um, okay. always a, always a great place to run fast times indoors. And yeah, it, honestly, I was pretty shocked that I ran as fast as I did that day. Um, but how, how long were you with New Jersey, um, with that track club? How long were you training with them? So I was actually um, there for uh, the fall of 2013 and then the 2014 season. And then after that, I, um, my husband and I relocated out to Colorado Springs after we got married. And um, so just one year. Um, and then after that, I, I kind of had some injuries and things like that. Was it, um, was it partly location or just you feel like it wasn't? a good mix or it was just you guys got married and wanted to, to move West and that was it no matter what. Yeah, it was a couple different things. I mean, mostly, um, you know, him finding a job and, and things just kind of yeah. clicked better, uh, you know, with, with his work and everything coming out West. Um, and you know, uh, in that 2014 season, you know, I ran 
lifetime best in the mile and, and 3k with coach gags he did a, a tre- tremendous job and it was it was great training with that group for that one year that i did um but yeah we just ended up um you know changing things up and, and moving out west and um you know it was a little frustrating at first because then the, the following couple of years i had you know a lot of struggles with injuries um but a big part of that was that even going into that 2014 season, I was already dealing with this this chronic hamstring stuff. So um, you were. When, when did that start? That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I did. It did kind of start at the tail end of my college career. Um, mm. You know, I say I, I wasn't injured in college, but that is kind of when it started. Um, and I but think you trained through. It was sort of right. you were able to manage. Yeah, I was still able to manage and obviously to run 426. I can't say that I was, you know, um, completely impaired by it. But, you know, it was um, kind of one of those things that just kept reoccurring. You know, I'd have maybe a solid six weeks of training and then it would, you know, really set me back and then I'd build back up and it would set me back. And um, so that was, you know, by the end of 2014, it had gotten really bad to the point where I had to take – I think I took a month or two off, like just really took a complete break after mm-hmm. that, um, moved out to Colorado. And then, um, you know, from there it became kind of this long, long saga of four years of, of no racing and, um, ended up having a couple of surgeries and just turned into a lot longer struggle than I, I ever anticipated. But, um, but yeah. Do you, do you look, well, I want to ask you a couple things. So has, what is the general like diagnosis, like related to the hamstring syndrome? What were people telling you in terms of not like diagnosing the source of the problem, but you know, what was attributing to it? Has anyone said like, okay, you know, that's X, Y, Z, and that's why you're, your hamstring is is pulling or strained. Um, I'm just curious, what are some of the the contributing factors and how you've been, how you had to sort of try and manage and attack it from that standpoint? Yeah, so you know, it started in college as kind of a strain, maybe a small tear. I don't really know for sure, but um, you know, the, the tough thing with this injury is that when you have a small tear or some micro tearing, um, you know, or if it's just a strain, things like that, there's not a lot that really shows up on an MRI, if anything. Um, yeah. So the first, I think I got an MRI in college and they didn't really have much to say. You know, I did some rehab exercises, probably wasn't consistent enough um, going into my first year of pro running. And then I kind of got really good um, guidance from a PT in New Jersey. And and that was what really helped me run well for most of that season. And then, you know, it just kind of kept coming back. Um, What was the guidance? Like, were you getting people to come in and and not just treat your hamstring and say, oh, you you know, you've got a tear and we're going to work on your hamstring. But what else were you working on? Like, what were some of the contributing factors that were sort of leaving your hamstring vulnerable is what I'm trying to get at. Sure. So uh, for me, you know, I have what's kind of called an anterior pelvic tilt, which is pretty common in in distance Mm -hmm. runners. So, you know, uh, working on core strengthening and things like that, um, chiropractic work to help realign uh, my pelvis and my hips and everything, Um, you know, um, doing a lot of eccentric strengthening of of the hamstring and glute, glute strengthening, things like that. So it's kind of, it's kind of this, I guess everyone's different, but a lot of times it is kind of that, that same pattern of, you know, um, a a weak core, which I hate saying that because I've (laughs) always been someone who does like a ton of core exercises, but when you have like an anterior pelvic tilt, um, you know, when you have a structural issue you know whether it's your pelvis or your hips or something like that Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes you can do all the core you want and if you're not doing it the right way or if you're lacking mobility somewhere um you know it it doesn't really pay off so i I learned so much about anatomy and about you know how to kind of counter those things i realized i I found out that i'm hyper mobile so you know i'm just a little bit more prone to to different injuries because of that and 
um, just kind of had to figure out my routine, which, you know, as of now, after all these years, it's, you know, I work with a chiropractor every week, you know, I've got to stay on top of strength training and, you know, uh, kind of prehab exercises and, and then deep tissue massage for me is huge. So, um, I notice if I kind of cut any of those things out that, you know, it could still come back again. So you, you're a certified personal trainer and, and strength coach, you're an expert in this territory. Um, do you, you mentioned that sort of the injury cycle and, and battling through maybe helped you get through the pandemic and manage. Did, did it also sort of lead you to getting certified and being more of an expert on, on strength? Is that, you think that's part of what put you on that path? Just curious, or is it just something you got because you're a coach or do you have more interest in it because of the injuries? Yeah, no, that's definitely what made me want to get more involved with the strength training, you know, side of, of, of running. Um, you know, I don't see myself as, as focusing on that full time. I think I'll always focus more on being a, a running coach, but I think as, yeah. as a running coach at any level, I think it's great to have an understanding of that type of stuff. And I, I realized after, you know, dealing with this injury for so long um, that I, I knew I knew too much. I knew a lot. And, you know, I because um, I'm always, you know, learning and trying to study things and figure things out. And so after seeing, you know, I had traveled all over the country to see different doctors and PTs and surgeons, um, because for a long time, no one could really put all of the pieces together. Um, so, so, yeah, you, during you frustrated you felt like you're constantly seeing people you can't so you couldn't get over the hump with this specific hamstring injury right yeah so I yeah kind of backtracking I um I had seen a lot of specialists and um ended up having labral tear surgery in my hip um they Mm. reshaped my femur they felt like that was um the kind of cause of this that that um instability of my hip was causing me, um, to kind of re-strain, re-tear the, the hamstring. Um, unfortunately that didn't really resolve my pain. It may have been the cause. Um, you know, that's certainly a possibility, but yeah, I went through that surgery, which, um, you know, is not necessarily a quick and easy surgery. So after about a year post-op, I realized that the hamstring was kind of unchanged. I was still kind of just banging my head against the wall, trying to, you know, come back and then, you know, digress and then try to build back up and then digress. So then I, um, eventually found out about this, this surgery, um, for the hamstring. And that was what ent- ultimately ended up, um, helping me recover fully from, from all this the hamstring in, pain. This is in Finland. Correct. Yeah. So I, so, get, I get a lot of questions about that. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask about that. Um, so were opinions, so leading up to this, before you go to Finland, were opinions and treatments, were they really kind of all over the map in terms of, oh, yeah, we got to take care of this. We're going to, you know, I've, we've got this treatment, we're going to do this. And you just felt like nothing worked or was ever, was it pretty much the same in terms of approach? I'm just curious. No, I would say it was it was all over the map. Um, yeah. So it was a really emotional couple of years yeah. um, because, you know, I kind of held on to hope and kept thinking, you know, maybe just maybe this next doctor will will figure it out. Um, but I had I was diagnosed with everything from an autoimmune disorder, which then they said, maybe, no, that's not the case. And then, you know, um, arthritis or tear or like I said, mm. the hip, they were looking at my doing my back doing nerve blocks and my spine just it was kind of of, they were trying all different kinds of things and I I worked with some you know I met some really great people who um I I flew to see several different you know renowned physical therapists and all of that and um I don't think that it was any of their fault that they didn't um didn't fix me quote unquote you know um I, I think it just, it ended up ultimately taking the surgery, which basically what they did during the surgery was, um, mainly they, they actually cleaned out, like physically removed a ton of scar tissue that had built up. Um, and what had happened was 
because of all this micro tearing, my hamstring tendon had become tethered to my sciatic nerve. Um, so if you, you know, if anyone's ever had sciatic nerve pain, that is, yeah. is very debilitating and painful. So I was, I had gotten to the point where I could not sit or drive or, you know, sit in a chair for more than 20 minutes without a good amount of pain. So I'd kind of gotten used to sitting on one half of, of my bum and just dealing with that. And I realized that that was not how I wanted to live the rest of my life. So I, um, I went to Finland. Um, and the reason I did that was because here in the U S, um, to do a similar type of surgery, first of all, it wasn't going to be covered my, by my insurance. So it would have cost me a fortune. Was was Um, this surgery or technique, like, was it approved in the U S or was it partly, it was an economic, well, you said insurance wouldn't cover it. Um, but what else, like why you, what else about this was made it so appealing besides like, I've tried a million different things. Were they super confident? Was this a totally new and innovative like technique or no? Yeah. I mean, it's not brand new. I'm not sure exactly how long they've been doing this type of surgery over there, but they do, um, the surgeons, um, who I, I saw, they have worked with a ton of professional athletes, mainly soccer players, um, you know, internationally, and then a lot of, of runners as well. And so I, I felt confident after talking to a couple of people who had had this surgery, um, that, you know, they had really great success. And, um, and I, I had found a couple of other Americans who had a similar story to mine, all the symptoms just, you know, matched immediately to my story. And, you know, it was scary. I took a risk um, because mm-hmm. it definitely did cost me financially to go over there and do that. Um, but, it, you know, the surgeons were very confident that this is what what they call hamstring syndrome. And essentially it is just it's chronic hamstring tendinopathy. Um, and so when I get I, you know, I get emails from people all around the world um, on a weekly basis asking about wow. this surgery. Um, and I, I try to answer them as best as I can. But uh, you know, for those who've had this for a couple of months, I try to, you know, be clear that this is not, I wasn't suffering from this for a couple months because in running high hamstring tendonitis is very common. Um, but in my right. case, high hamstring tendinopathy, you know, dealing with it for four years and running through it is what got it to the point where my, basically my sciatic nerve was stuck. It couldn't glide properly. Um, so they had to basically surgically release that. So that was really what they did along with anchoring part of my tendon um, to another tendon. And then um, it was, it's kind of different in that a lot of surgeons in the U.S. will do a similar uh, procedure, but typically they will remove your tendon um, attachment. They'll actually remove it from the bone. Um, So it becomes a lot more invasive. It's basically the same surgery they would do if you Mm -hmm. tore your hamstring off the bone which I did not do. You know, I didn't have what's called an avulsion where your, your tendon is completely detached. So I didn't really want them to detach something that was still attached. And that was ultimately why I went with the surgeons in Finland. So what was the expectation though going in? Like, oh, we're going to, when we, when we do this, you're going to be able to start running or were they very open about, you know, we're going to fix this problem, but you're still, you know, have to manage maybe some of the underlying uh, causes. I mean, where are you at today with that? Do you feel like, hey, that surgery was successful, but now I'm still dealing with, you know, underlying factors or uh, what was the outcome? Yeah. So they they were clear that um, anybody who develops an injury like that, there there are external causes, like you said. And for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, they really looked at posterior chain you know, strengthening. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I still have to work with a chiropractor to make sure I'm, I'm properly aligned because if I get out of alignment and then I just kind of stay that way and keep mm. running through it, I'll, you know, I'm, something is going to be too tight somewhere. So, and a lot of times that's, that's my weakness is the hamstring. So, you know, they were clear on that, which I really appreciated because I think, um, you know, I've had three surgeries. I also had a foot surgery and I think with, Um, With all surgeries, it's important to go into them remembering that it's not this instant and perfect fix and you never have to worry about that area again. So, you know, I have to keep up on some rehab stuff, but I will say it was it was 100% a success. Um, I'm super grateful that I did it. Um, And, you know, I recommend it to people who have 
chronic as in, you know, several years of, of dealing with this. Um, but obviously yeah. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. So I, I tell everyone who reaches out about it that, you know, they can contact the surgeon themselves and see if it's the right thing. But for me, it was definitely a success. And so you're working with athletes on VDOT now. What, like through your athletic journey, what are some things that you're transferring um, based on your experience? Like the, the big things that you've learned most along the way? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the biggest things that I've learned from my own career is just um, learning to enjoy the journey and um, kind of making making the most of the opportunities you have. And, you know, I always try to, to remind my athletes of those things and, um, you know, just focusing on, you know, your individual goals and, and not trying to be someone that you're not. And um, because I think through all of my injuries, that was some of what I struggled with was the fact that I, you know, I graduated college, um, you know, being one of the top runners on a team that ultimately had a, a lot of, you know, Olympians kind of come out of the, the, the group that I trained with side by side. And, and um, you know, at first it was hard being, you know, 2016, not even getting to run the Olympic trials or things like that. Um, but then I realized, you know, that's, that's not my story. You know, my story is different and I, uh, you know, I'm learning and, and constantly working on embracing that, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's a great thing to pass on as a coach is that everybody has their story, um, especially on a college team. You know, when you have, we have about 20, 20 to 25 girls on our roster. So, you know, obviously in cross country, only five score, you know, only seven to 10 are racing, but, um, you know, all of those 20 athletes have their story. So I think if you can focus on making the most, um, you know, of your own journey and um, embracing the process, then, you know, you can can really get some really great um, results and success, um, you know, having that attitude. You mentioned the Olympics. What's next in your athletic journey? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm still training. Um, you know, it's a little bit different now. I'm, you know, not sponsored or anything like that. And you know, I'm definitely, uh, kind of delving more into the coaching world, but, um, you know, I ran a fit 410 in the 1500, um, in 2019, and I'm still hoping to lower that and, and run in the Olympic trials. And, you know, I think I've, I've still got really big goals and, and everything. Um, but, you know, I'm just trying to kind of, um, enjoy the process and enjoy the journey a little bit more this year. And, um, just really kind of get the most out of my body, I guess. Um, you know, it's, it's been tough the last couple of years, like I said, um, you know, coming back from all the surgeries and then I've had some other injuries pop up, I think as just as a result of kind of being away from, from mm -hmm. racing for so long. Um, so yeah, just kind of getting as much as I can out of my body, um, you know, and what it gives me. Do you feel like part of that has just been sort of anxious to, um, you know, get back and not miss um, some of that time? And you're you're looking at the Olympic cycle and um, the 410, like, w did you have a lot of consistency in training before that? Or is this just kind of you're getting healthy for a bit and and you're you've got a race and and that's what you're putting up? Is that kind of how it's been lately? Yeah, I would say I have not had, um, since 2014, I haven't had more than a couple of months of, of completely healthy training, um, right. you know, and, and sometimes I think about it and I think, why, why am I still doing this? But, um, you know, I, I missed yeah. out on the last Olympic trials. And so I think, you know, I'm yeah. not ready to, to close the door quite yet, but the 410, I, I didn't realize it at the time. I actually was running on a navicular stress fracture. And so I wasn't really healthy, <laughs> but I was out there. And, um, so I, I kind of realized, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a stubborn person. So, you know, maybe in some ways that has, has hurt me. Um, but you know, I've, um, I think if I wasn't a little bit stubborn in, in the way that I am, I probably would have, would have just closed the door a long time. Well, ago. I think the, I mean, the silver lining and we're, we're all about the silver linings here. The, is that you haven't had much consistency yet. You know, you're posting a pretty 
um, fantastic time. So it's sort of, it's hopeful in that sense, right? You're, you, you get a glimmer of hope and, and hopefully you can put together, you know, a few more months of, of consistency. But um, to me, like it, it looks like it's there. It's just a matter of what is that new balance? I remember training with an athlete post-collegiately and our coach um, down at Zap, you know, this guy was trying to run in the Olympic trials. He's a 1500 meter runner. And he was, he literally got to the point, our coach, where he could only run him about 30 miles a week. Um, mm-hmm. And he was basically running three, four times a week and just cross training like crazy. And the guy still went out. I think he ran, you know, he didn't compete to make the team, um, but he still ran 340 or 341, something incredibly fast for the amount of uh, running he was actually doing anyway. Um, but I think that's the key, right? It's just what's that balance that maybe works for you now versus um, what what it was at when you were in high school and, and college, it's a different time, but um, I love so much on how you're, you know, putting things into perspective and starting more to, to, to enjoy the process more. Right. And um, so it's great to hear that you're, you're transferring that experience to your athletes. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I think, you know, especially, you know, coming off of a, a, a tough year, 2021 or 2020, you know, being challenging in a lot of ways and, and just all the uncertainties, you know, um, I guess that's the one thing that I, um, I would say I have a lot of experience with because of all the injuries that I had and, um, you know, missing, you know, a couple of years of racing and kind of constantly hoping, okay, well maybe 2017 will be better. And then I had the hamstring surgery and then 2018 will be better. And then I had my, um, my navicular injury. And then in 2019, it kind of came back again. And so it, but even through that whole time, I, I continued to show up and keep training and, and, and racing and, um, without knowing, and I guess that's kind of where I stand right now. I don't, I don't know how much longer my body will, will yeah. hold up, but I guess I keep kind of holding on to that hope that, um, you know, like you said, if you can, if you can string together a few months and, um, you know, for me, I, I supplement with cross training. I love, I really do. I love the elliptigo. I use that a lot. Um, I do alter G running, things like that. And, you know, a, a lot of times, um, you know, our big breakthroughs and PRs and things like that, um, sometimes they come by surprise. So I think, it, you know, I loved, I think it was Des Linden, you know, her quote about like, just keep showing up. I think yeah. that really is like the best advice in our sport is if you just keep showing up, like, eventually, you know, it's going to pay off and, and maybe it's not exactly the scenario that you, you know, dream about, but I, I think that, that that's the key. That's great. Well, I'm going to end on that note. Um, so we'll be rooting for you and, and stay at it and, um, keep us posted. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Of course. Thanks, Amanda. Take care. Right. I've been over here.